Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, April 17th, and this is the weekly market update. Again, the disclaimer, anything that you hear on this podcast or on this video is not investment advice. Please do your own due diligence. It is your money. It's your responsibility. Okay. So this week in the reality check, I want to talk about agitprop, agitation propaganda, or propaganda in general, and how it's used to, or how our media in the West has went from being a check and balance on government and on power to being co-opted by that governments and power, people in power, corporations, if you will and how they are deliberately acting against um, and inf trying to influence the narrative on a daily basis. Why is this important? Well, because, I mean, it goes back to what I said before in previous videos. I do believe that people of wealth and power conspire to keep their wealth and power and to grow their wealth and power. And they've, you know, they've sucked in the news media. Um, it's a known fact that uh, I don't have links, of course. I'm not going to do the research. You can go look at it. But I've seen uh, people write about it and follow their links. You know, Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation has, you know, showered the various media organizations with money to carry his message. And why does this matter? Because um, we basically have a fascistic state here where we have this one party or this basically the government in itself, whether the Republican or Democrats, one party has aligned itself with corporations. You know, the government was talking about, for example, doing these vaccine passports, but they're not really going to have to do it because the corporations will do it for them. Corporations will tell you, you can't come into their store without a mask. They've listed, lifted the mask mandate here in Texas a long time ago. The governor did like over a month ago. But you can't go into any of the stores without a mask on. It's private property. They won't allow it. Now, I guess you could be a dissident, and, you know, if you want to, you know, get into that. I'm sure people are doing that, but that's what the state does, right? And so the press has always been separate from that, and it's called out power. It's called out corruption. But now it's part of that same narrative. Here's an example. This is just one of many. I could, I'm starting to uh, get a file together where I'm going to put all this propaganda pictures and articles into, and I'll be reporting to you on a regular basis. So here's an article on the left from the Washington Post. The uh, dateline on it was April 2nd, 2020. And this was right when the pandemic started, supposedly, in the U.S. It was ramping up. We didn't have a lot of information. And so... This was what they wrote. Everyone wore masks during the 1918 flu pandemic. They were useless. And if you recall, during the start of the disease that cannot be mentioned, you know, even people in the CDC and the government were saying, no, don't use masks. They don't work, blah, blah, blah. Now, look at the article on the right from the same um, newspaper. Bought the dateline on it, March 12th, 2021, basically 11 months later. Opinion, 
Abandoning masks now is a terrible idea. The 1918 pandemic shows why. And of course, if you look at the top, this is the Washington Post, and their motto is, <laughs> I mean, you talk about double speak and double talk, and you know, th their motto is democracy dies in darkness. Mm -hmm. So this they're part of the agenda i mean if you you know this is what's going on i find it humorous that uh project veritas came out with those videos in the last week where they got the cnn uh director or producer whatever he was basically he was admitting that yes they they're a propaganda organ that they you know propagandized covid they, they propagandized against trump and that's what they do and so it was kind of funny. I didn't know the whole story, but what I did read about it was he got caught in a honeypot. This guy was on Tinder. They trapped the guy in Tinder. They sent some gal in there. She was a operative for Project Veritas. And this guy, you know, was talking big about, you know, because he's trying to impress because he's thirsty. You know, he wants to, he wants to get sex. And, uh, you know, so he's talking big about all of his accomplishments, about how they propagandized and, you know, they do, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but you can just see. And if, you know, Project Veritas is able to do this, isn't, aren't intelligence agencies and other people in government able to do the same thing? Yeah, but I, I fell off a ladder onto my head. I'm a conspiracy theorist. So this is all over the place. Okay. There's no questioning of the narrative by the press. You know, I mean, whatever your political persuasion is, it's just, it's, it's not there. So that's why you've had the rise of alternative media. For example, that's why you're listening to this podcast or video. We have alternative media here. Do I always get it right? No, I don't have the resources. I'm a one man band, but you know, we're calling out these things and you should think about them. Don't let critical thinking escape you. Is, you know, you're like, well, why, why is this actionable? How is this actionable? Critical thought is the basis for being successful in life. Forget about investing. It's imperative investing. You can't be running your life based on emotions and dopamine fixes. And this is what a lot of people do. They have certain biases. They, the propaganda is out there. It enables it. And so they go along with the program. But this is how it is throughout history. You know, we don't need to have the majority of the people in the U.S. or the West agree with us to change the situation. It only takes a small minority, 5 10% hardcore people, remnant, that believes in the truth, that are critical thinkers. You know, most of the people during the Revolutionary War in the United States, this thing that we celebrate every July 4th, most of the people didn't want anything to do with it. Most people don't want to stick their head up and get whacked like whack-a-mole. They want to sit in their house, stick their finger up and see which way the wind goes, and then jump in, uh, jump in on the winning team to go in for the big touchdown and the win. That's how most people roll. Most people do not have a philosophical anchor. They don't really know what they believe in. They might have a little bit of religion when they grew up. They have a little bit of philosophy from college. They might, you know, people don't read books, so you know, they don't think. They're constantly just sitting in front of the TV or, you know, watching Netflix or whatever. They're not walking and contemplating and thinking. And these are critical things that you need to do to make decisions, to analyze things. 
you know, and it's growing now because people are completely disgusted with our institutions. That's why, you know, Project Veritas was immediately um, banned from Twitter after they put up that expose on that uh, propagandist from CNN. And of course, the excuse from Twitter was, well, this, you know, Project Veritas guy had multiple, he had violations of our use agreements or something. It's all BS. It's a lie. That's what these people do. Every time they get caught out, they lie. They are liars. Like their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. Lies on top of lies on top of lies. I know I read an, uh, a tweet this week from a guy that I've been following. He's pretty good. We'll try to get him on the show. And he said, listen, you've been, you're, you're living in a psyop, a psychological operation that went into effect in 1963. I think that's when President Kennedy was shot. And you've been living in a psyop ever since then. And until you acknowledge that and understand that, there's really no hope. You're living in this controlled environment that they're trying to control with the propaganda, misinformation, lies compounded on top of lies. And so if you want to be successful in the investment markets, you have to understand what's really going on. Why? So you can be successful. So you can be a true contrarian. So that you can see the narrative that is incorrect, and then you can bet against it. Because reality is reality, regardless of what people feel or think. I don't like reality. It doesn't matter. Reality doesn't care. It is what it is. There's the way things are. There's the way we want them to be, and there's the way they are. And, uh, you know, you can ignore reality, but reality will not ignore you. This is another example. You know, we've been told for many, many years that uh, fats are bad. Um, the food pyramid, you know, eat so much grains and fruits and vegetables and reduce your consumption of meat and things like that. And a lot of people have done that. We have these huge diabetes epidemic in this country and all the diseases that come from that and obesity. But if you go into a grocery store, you will see a lot of people, especially lower income people, with all kinds of sugary drinks, processed foods, all the things that you shouldn't be eating. Because there was a concerted effort by industry 50 years ago to take the, you know, sugar's poison to your body. I mean, I believe that. Um, is it all right to indulge yourself occasionally? Yes. But, you know, drinking a case of Mountain Dew a week is not good for your body. Putting all that corn syrup and sweeteners into your body. Eating all these carbohydrates is bad. That's why you have this huge obesity uh, epidemic and all the resultant diseases. You know, we don't have a health care problem in the United States. We have a sick care problem. We have a bunch of people that are physically sick because of the way that they uh, live sedentary lifestyles and uh, because of their diets. You know, I recently became uh, a type two diabetic and I've made some changes. I made a lot of changes to my lifestyle, uh, my exercising, uh, my watching of what I eat, uh, trying a keto diet, which resulted in me losing a ton of weight, but it didn't, you know, when you're doing keto, you're not, you're not eating sugar. You're not eating a lot of carbohydrates. And so this is just the headline. I didn't read the article, but you should, you know, these are the kind of things that you see, right? 50 years ago, sugar industry quietly paid scientists to point blame at fat. I mean, you can look at cigarette advertisements from the 1950s and early 1960s, where they would have doctors 
with lab coats on and stethoscopes, you know, endorsing, had the picture of the doctor in the bottom of the Chesterfield advertisement in the newspaper endorsing the cigarette. So, I mean, this is nothing new. It's propaganda. The, the state now meshed fully with these large corporations. You know, they had this big um, meeting in, I think last week, where 100 of the Fortune 500 companies' CEOs got together to talk about the, you know, the voting law changes in Georgia. And, you know, the, you know what, what they're going to do about it. Do, you, do I actually believe that these corporations give one iota of care about some rural African-American that may or may not be able to vote? I, I don't think they could care less. This is the current zeitgeist, and this, they want to figure out how to make money off it. It's cynical. And it's dangerous. We cannot have corporations uh, involving themselves in our uh, politics, in my view. And this is enabled by the press. You know, it just came out this week, too. Oh, by the way, uh, President Trump was really right. Uh, there really wasn't Russians. That was a false story. The Russians really weren't putting bounties on our soldiers in Afghanistan. Oh, well, you know, six months after the fact. And no one, no one pays the price. Some small article you see, you know, on page 22. I mean, does anybody actually read a newspaper? I haven't read an actual newspaper in probably 20 years. And so that's why you see the rise of the um, you know, alternative media. And that's why they've done everything they can to get it off YouTube, get it off Twitter. That's why you're seeing the rise of all these alternative media outlets like uh, Gab and um, BitChute and things like this, because they're trying to squeeze any kind of critical thinking or any kind of pushback against the narrative. And I don't think they're going to be able to do it unless they go to a full police state. Because somebody's always going to create um, a medium where you can get the word out. I mean, it was so bad in East Germany that you had to register typewriters. And they, Stasi knew, they could tell from a typewritten letter, like if you were typing up um, some type of criticism against the government or something, they could trace it back to that particular typewriter. And they knew who the owner was because it was registered. Now, I don't think they could ever go to that in the U.S. And that's why I think we'll always be able to get the word out, but it's incumbent upon people to have the critical thinking skills or be open to the truth. And a lot of people don't want the truth. People want comfort and they want not to have the boat rocked. Okay, one more thing in the reality check. I kind of like this. Um, got this off Twitter. This Charlie... Bilio puts a lot of good charts up. I follow him. Here's his tweet. The U.S. housing boom continues with prices hitting all-time highs again, up 11.2% over the past year. This is the highest year-over-year increase since 2006. This should be ringing alarm bells. This shouldn't be celebrated. I don't think he's celebrating. He's just pointing this out. And you can see the charts. 2006, the highest year-over-year increase in housing prices since 2006. Well, what happened in 2008? Oh, yeah, we had the housing uh, blow up in the housing market, remember? I mean, this is another manifestation of the crack-up boom that we're in that I've been talking about. 
and a crack up, boom, all assets go up and it feels good. Everybody feels like they're getting richer. I mean, if you're selling your house for like almost all time highs, you're pretty happy right now, right? If you're trying to buy a house, you're probably not too happy. But what is what is enabling all this? You know, record low interest rates uh, and, you know, the people's desire to move away from the cities and get away from nutty uh, locales that they were living in. So all these people moving to Florida, Arizona, Tennessee, North Carolina, Nevada, Idaho, wherever you want to look at this, this is what's happening. People are leaving high tax areas, high regulatory areas, high nut job areas, and moving to places that are perceived to be less like that. Texas, Florida. I mean, Florida has a bigger population than New York now. They continue to grow. People continue to move in, and New York continues to lose people. Figure it out. And so, I mean, this is compounded with the fact, this housing boom, that lumber prices are making, you know, again, making all-time highs again last week. I mean, the price of lumber is so high now, it's adding about 25 grand extra to the cost of a new home. And I believe that we're going to see a longer term, um, there's a desire because this millennial cohort has finally now started getting married and starting to have children. It's a very large cohort of people. I believe it's bigger than the baby boomers. And so you're seeing some demographic issues collide with the record low interest, interest rates and this desire to buy homes and get, get families going. And I think that this is going to head for tears because people are like, well, what's wrong with housing prices going up? Well, housing, if your salaries and average wages are not going up, there's a limit to how far or how high housing prices can go because at some point people won't be able to afford them with the incomes. They can't just go up, you know, five, 10% every year, the laws of compounding in large numbers will come into effect at some point. So this is just another manifestation of the crack up boom we're in. It's going to end badly for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I am looking at, you know, uh, an investment that I think or that we can make when this thing turns around uh, of a company that uh, processes uh, delinquent mortgages and takes care of properties for banks that are in foreclosure. But that's, uh, that's down the road, obviously, because right now we have moratoriums on foreclosures and things because we have the government in, in, inserting itself into the economy into this crisis that it created. So nevertheless, I thought this was an interesting thing to uh, note. Another part of the crack up boom that we continue to see. Okay, container and dry bulk shipping rates going nuts. Our tankers next. I'll put a link to this. This is Jay Mintzmeyer. He's on Seeking Alpha. This is probably, I have found, one of the best shipping specific analysts out there. This guy's really good. I mean, I've been following him for a long time. I don't subscribe to his uh, newsletter, but he puts in a, a, so much free information out, you really don't need to. If you watch this video, he'll talk about uh, just about all the sectors in the shipping industry, because as we've talked about before, shipping is very comprises of itself of about seven or eight or maybe nine different subsectors. And currently, the container market is going nuts, container rates, and so are dry bulk rates. Uh, he talks about tankers in this and, you know, says that uh, he expects later on this year and into 2022 is when the tanker rates probably will respond. Why? Because oil demand and products demand is coming back and it's going to respond. So you'll be bigger demand on these tankers. 
So I'll put a link to this. I suggest you watch it. He gives, what's interesting is for every sector he gives, he gives his top picks in that sector. So if you are interested in, I haven't really been following some of the other shipping sectors in the actionable intelligence alert newsletter. I have been following the tankers, obviously, but I do have a couple speculations in my own personal account. And one of them is Zim Shipping. He talks about it's a container shipping firm. Uh, you can listen to it. What's interesting about containers is it's different than tankers. You know, tankers are put under contract for specific voyages that may last, you know, 45 or 60 days. But container rates are kind of locked in in many cases for up to two or three years. So these big record high ta uh, container rates um, are manifesting themselves in higher stock prices for a lot of the ship shipping companies that have a, have a bias to container shipping. However, I think people are missing the boat on the fact that these earnings are not going to be transitory. They're going to be high for a period of time because like I said, people are locking in the shipping rates and for multiple years, and that's gonna to translate to higher cash flows and earnings. So uh, I'll put a link to this, check it out uh, if you get a chance, excellent. And I suggest you follow this guy on Twitter and at Seeking Alpha. Another article I'll put a link to talking about the high shipping rates and why they're here to stay. Uh, this is from uh, a trade publication that talks about freight moving. Uh, stubbornly high shipping expenses for businesses are getting sealed into contracts for the next 12 months, forcing companies to pass the extra cost on to consumers. This is why we're, this is another brick in the wall of the inflationary argument. These costs do not get absorbed by these companies. They pass them on to the consumer. They will begin to manifest themselves in, in higher prices if they already are. The price for a container of goods from China to the U.S. West Coast and European ports has hovered near record highs for several months, and conditions are ripe for more increases, even though spot rates usually soften this time of year. What's more, new contracts being signed by some of the biggest U.S. importers indicate the spike won't be a short-term blip. And Jay Mintzmeyer talks about this in his uh, video that I'm going to link to. So here it is, right? Here's another brick in the wall. Um, because of the uh, pandemic, because of the supply chains have been disrupted, because of the animosity that's built up in the US, between the U.S. and China, uh, you know, because, you know, you just keep piling these things on and they are, things are starting to move from deflationary tailwinds to inflationary tailwinds. And we're seeing more and more of this. But we're here to take advantage of it. So there's, there's opportunity here for those that know what's going on. Most people don't have a clue about shipping rates. They don't have a clue what's going on. They're just going to complain about the higher prices and you can take advantage of these things. You know, why sit there and just be a victim when you can come out and, and know what's going on and take advantage? Okay, some more good news for nuclear. It just keeps coming every week. More and more good information. Um, this is from a Reuters article, link in the show notes. Um, EU to say nuclear counts as green energy. Ex experts tasked with assessing whether the European Union should label nuclear power as a green investment will say that the fuel qualifies as sustainable. Quote, the analysis did not reveal any science-based evidence that nuclear energy does more harm to human health or to the environment than other electricity production technologies, unquote. That's very important. 
you know, that's one of the narratives that's out there. One of the canards is that nuclear is dangerous when in fact it's the safest, most reliable form of electricity production known to man. And the EU, the, people are starting to realize that we're not going to have this energy transition and this mass electrification if we try to base it just on wind and solar. That's becoming more and more evident, um, which I'm glad for. Those other technologies have their place. They probably will have a role, but nuclear, I believe, is going to have a renaissance and we're getting closer and closer. More and more of these governments are starting to say the same thing. Goes on in the article, storage of nuclear waste in deep geologic formations is deemed appropriate and safe, quote unquote, it said, citing countries including France and Finland in the advanced stages of developing such sites. So this is the direction we're moving. Is it actionable today? Not necessarily, but long term, it gives more of an indication of more wind in the sails of nuclear energy, nuclear power, which is, of course, a net positive long term for uranium. Uh, you will note that uh, we finally started having the pullback in a lot of the uranium shares. The boil's coming off. We're not seeing as much froth. A lot of the tourists are getting bored, it seems. And this is what we need in a bull market. Uh, we saw the same thing in oil. We saw the same thing in gold. This is what happens uh, in a bull market. They have pullbacks and consolidations. You have to digest the previous gains before you can make new move on to new highs. So the fundamentals have never been better in my mind. And things just continue to roll on. So buy on pullbacks. That would be my, I mean, there's not much more to say about it. Another article I'll put a link to, Hungary and Poland to expand nuclear. Hungary is now the sixth European country to bring forward its coal phase-out plan, announcing that it will shut its last remaining coal plant in 2025. Meanwhile, Poland says its first nuclear power unit will be built in Gdansk, the second one probably at the site of the Belchatov coal plant. Hungary has four nuclear reactors generating about half of its electricity. In 2018, nuclear accounted for 49% of its electricity mix, natural gas 23%, and coal 15%. Poland's Secretary of State for Strategic Energy, Energy Infrastructure said that the first unit will be built in Gdansk, Pomerania, and that this is expected to start operations in 2033. The second power plant, nuclear power plant, will most likely be built at Bechlatov, he added. So this is, again, more news, uh, that positive news long term, more demand for uranium. Do you, do you see me putting any articles up here ever, though, about new mines being built? Of course not. The uranium mining industry is in liquidation. The price is insufficient to bring capital in to build new mines, but yet we continue to build more plants because people have reached the resolution that if they want to decarbonize, if they want to have uh, electrification of everything, that you have to do it with large-scale thermal plants, and that means nuclear power. It's not going to happen with coal. Now, coal's not going away either. I mean, that's going to be a separate case. I'm in the midst of that's going to be the focus of this month's or the May issue of the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter. There's tremendous opportunity in coal. It's not going to go away. As a percentage of the total energy mix over the next 10, 15, 20 years, it will decrease. But the overall coal usage will go up. Why? Because the energy usage by the entire world is going to double. There's billions of people that have never flipped the light switch. 
So the fastest way to bring them the benefits of electrical is to, or electricity, refrigeration, air conditioning, these type of things will be with coal-fired power plants. This is uh, more news that's beneficial to our case in our investments. Pension fund pulls investment from oil sands. This is a zero hedge tweet. New York pension funds, fun pension fund pulls investments from seven oil sands producers. This could be a problem if junk bond accounts refuse to fund shale due to ESG. Yes, that's part of our thesis of why we think that oil prices are gonna be triple digits again, eventually because everybody, that's the new fashionable zeitgeist. I hate hydrocarbons, okay? Well, that's interesting because you need them in the energy transition. But if no one will fund them, then because it's a depleting industry, an extractive industry, you have to replace the reserves that you pump. If you don't do that, then you will go out of business. And so supply will naturally decrease over time because of lack of investment and obviously, uh, even if demand's decreasing, which it's not currently, then um, supply going under demand obviously means higher prices. So we shall see, but uh, I think we're setting up for an energy crisis. I've said that before in the next several years, and I think the oil price is going to surprise people on how high it goes during the next surge higher. I mean, right now, uh, we're supposedly, I'm starting to see articles now reluctantly from the press talking about, well, oil demand's, you know, starting to go up again and looks like oil demand's going to come back as, you know, the, the, something we've been talking about for a year. That, you know, as we go back to some semblance of normal, people are not going to stay in their houses for the rest of their life. Um, that energy demand's going to go up. Uh, if you're going to put all this free money into the economy and goose the economy and throw all this uh stimulus at it, you're going to have, you're going to force economic growth that requires energy. I mean, these are like logical, I mean, I'm no genius here. It's not like I'm some super duper, uh, I've got this all figured out. It's like pattern recognition guys. And, you know, stringing together cogent thoughts, i.e. critical thinking. You don't have to be a genius to figure this stuff out. Here's our old friend, Eric Nuttall. Oil market approaching balance, a tweet this week. The oil market is clearly healing. IEA says February inventory surplus to the five-year average falls 50% month over month to now only 30 million barrels. So you're only 30 million barrels above the five-year average. This is for the entire OECD, which is uh, all the developed countries. So surplus to five-year average down to 30 million. You can see the arrow here in red. This is the big COVID bump, uh, you know, demand collapsed. So inventories went up, they peaked and they've been ever, they've been moving lower since July of last year. This dotted red line is basically the five-year average. Look where we're at and it continues to move lower. So you can see that we're going to fall below the five-year average. That's why prices are going up. Price signals are being sent to the industry to start increasing supply. We're going to need more oil. That's why you've got Brent at, you know, $66 a barrel and uh, WTI, you know, it's $62 a barrel. I'm telling you guys at these um, price levels, a lot of the companies that we have in the portfolio are going to be cash flow generating monsters. And with now first quarter earnings coming with a lot of the uh, a lot uh, higher oil prices from the first quarter, we're going to start seeing, we've, and we've already seen 
uh, analysts start upgrading a lot of these stocks. So I expect, you know, energy, I think, was the best performing sector in the first quarter. It's going to continue to be as we come out of this pandemic and into the summer. I think the summer driving season, travel season is going to be explosive. I'm going to show you another uh, slide here that kind of uh, endorses that and builds upon previous comments, but this is what's happening. And like I said, it's pattern recognition. It's, this is, was inevitable. Here we go. Here is a, another tweet. This is off a of Bloomberg machine. It's from last week. Delta C, this is a you know, little news item. Delta CEO says pent up travel demand is quote, unbelievable. You know, we quoted, I think something similar from uh, an industry meeting a couple weeks ago in one of the weekly updates where the CEO of United said something similar and the CEO from Alaska Airlines said something similar. So this is what we said would happen. Uh, when people start moving around, people wanna get out of their houses, the winter's ending now, it's starting to get warm. We get into the summer months. I think travel is gonna be unbelievable. It's gonna be an explosion. And I think uh, oil prices are gonna react. And if people can't fly, they're going to drive. And so uh, it, you're, I also saw another article this week where refiners are starting to stock up on the refined products as they're seeing the demand come back. I think gasoline demand is just slightly below the average. So we're almost back on gasoline demand to the long-term average. I mean, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be something else to watch. I think, uh, you know, I still have that uh, marker for $70, $75 a barrel by the end of the year for WTI was what I was expecting, but I wouldn't be surprised if we make a run up to 80 by the end of the year. So this was a tweet from Ian Castle. I really like Ian Castle. He's a really smart guy. He mostly invests in micro cap stocks. Um, he, he's not out there as much as a lot of these other guys, but uh, I suggest you follow him on Twitter. And if you can get a chance to listen to him being interviewed or speak, he's really a smart guy. And so this particular tweet kind of struck me because, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that he puts out and, you know, give it some thought. If compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, then the compounding effect of great decision-making is the ninth. If you can string a few great decisions together, it will change your life. And that's really it, right? If you want to talk about investing success, it's that's what it's about, stringing together great decisions. And how are the great decisions made? And I think we found a good winning formula. You know, it takes patience, though, for this formula to work, to find a beaten down industry, stock, country, what have you, identify a catalyst for a change that will take the situation from bad to less bad, or from bad to good is even better, like we're seeing in uranium, and it will result in multiples returned, okay? Um, and that's what we do at Actionable Intelligence. You know, that's why we're talking about energy. It was beaten down. Did we think that oil was going to go away, that we were going to have, an, you know, if you studied, I, I don't dispute, I can't predict the future. Maybe there will be an energy transition that fully takes us to full electrification. That's very possible, okay? That might be where everybody wants to go. But I knew darn well from history, it wasn't going to happen in a year or two. And at the depths of the pandemic, when oil was, you know, remember when oil traded that one couple days when it was negative 40, 
you had to be a buyer in there because it wasn't going away. We've seen what's happened since. The same thing with uranium. Now, we've been sitting on this uranium thing for three years or a little bit over three years, and now it's finally starting to play out. That's what happens with these things. But these are great decisions, and they can compound on each other. And that's what can be life-changing. But not only just in investing, in your life in general. You know, kind of tying back to what we talked about at the start of this thing. If you're making poor decisions in your life, they're going to affect. And you can see it. I mean, everybody's, you know, is looking to government to solve their problems for them. You create this bad situation. You smoke for 40 years, and then you're shocked when you have emphysema or COPD or, God forbid, lung cancer. You're, you're a 300-pound slob walking around drinking big gulps and eating Twinkies all day and pizza. And then, you know, you have all these health problems when you're in your late 30s. What did you think was going to happen? But the good news is you can change. You can change any time you want. You may not be able to reverse the damage done, but you can halt the damage done. You can start to improve yourself. You can choose to make good decisions, whether it's investing, which is what we're trying to focus on here, or life in general. And that's what we're trying to talk about here, making good decisions and having one decision compound on the next decision. And the next thing you know, you've changed your whole life. So that's the actionable intelligence alert. That's what we do. Uh, we're having great results. A lot of our thinking now is starting to come to fruition. So if you are interested in that, you can uh, check out a subscription in the show notes. We have links to that. Feel free to do that. Um, we have, you know, trial period, uh, of a one shot deal on Patreon. Um, we have, you know, things like that, 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 that we offer. So if you're interested, take advantage of that. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, appreciate the support channel continues to grow as I'm just shocked. I'm just, I, I really feel, uh, really happy and blessed that, uh, people come here every week. Uh, I mean, I see in the show notes, people actually look forward to this, sh um, this show, uh, I hope we're, that we're delivering for you. I hope we're giving you good content. Like I said before, I don't always get it right. I'm only a one-man band here. Uh, I like getting corrected and called out in the, in the comments. If we get something wrong, we, we aim to be as accurate as possible. So we appreciate that, guys, and, uh, and we thank you a lot. That's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week.